You're listening to Discriminology, the podcast that aims to dismantle discrimination one discussion at a time. Produced by Launchpad 516 Studios with your host Malik Silau, Steve Kramer, and Sydney Penn. Welcome back to another episode of Discriminology. I'm one of your hosts, Malik Silan. I'm joined today by my co-host, Steve Kramer. Uh, today, we'll be covering the vilification of Malcolm X. We've covered Malcolm X in previous seasons, and we've alluded to how the narrative that surrounds his legacy tends to be tarnished in the eyes of some. He has been a victim of revisionist history in many regards. According to the paper, The Vilification of Malcolm X by Greg Toll, this was done systemically with intention. On this episode, we look, we look to expand upon the vilification with the paper's author and returning guest, Greg Tull. Steve, do you want to introduce our guest today? Sure. Uh, first, I'd like to welcome Greg back to the show. Greg has a BA and MA in history from Queens College with a concentration in American history with nine years of teaching experience. He is also a 10-year veteran basketball coach a former Queens College basketball standout and a licensed real estate agent. Greg is here uh, with his expertise on his thesis, The Vilification of Malcolm X. Welcome, Greg. It's a pleasure to be back. Um, you know, this is always uh, this is always fun doing this with you boys. So uh, let's do it again. Yeah, man, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you back. So uh, without any further ado, we'll, we'll just jump right into it. So pretty intense paper you wrote. Um, it's one thing for narratives to be to be manipulated over time, but it's it's another thing to cite that the federal government played a, a hand and had an intentional strategy to discredit a, a political pundit and activist. You know, it's pretty jarring to say the least, especially for people that are relatively new to the topic. Can you expand upon that further for our listeners? You know, for the federal government, like, like Malcolm was, was scary. I mean, like this, I mean, this, this guy, I mean, I mean, he, he was kind of dubbed the black messiah for a reason, right? You know, he, he himself kind of evoked emotions that were just far different than, than some of the status quo, right? I mean, specifically speaking, you can probably say in some regards, his influence and activism may have been more influential at that time than the great Dr. Martin Luther King. Now, there's kind of no way to kind of like, uh, I would say, discredit uh, discredit Dr. King and his efforts. I mean, they, 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 I mean that would be uh, unbelievably foolish to do. Um, but given the context of the struggle, there were there were various kind of sectors of of black thought, right? I mean, you know, you know, we are not a monolith, right? Um, nor have we ever been. And I think that that's kind of, um, you know, really important to know, right? I mean, you know, you know, when we see kind of like, you know, when we see heightened tensions, you know, heightened race relations, um, you know, uh, it, it, it is without question that, that race would be, or race relations would be impacted in, in, in a variety of ways. You know, so, so so why can't we assume that the responses wouldn't be the same, right? I, I think that's interesting to cite because many people don't know that Dr. King and Malcolm X connected to two very different audiences. Uh, Dr. King was more relatable to the, um, as Malcolm would say, the, the bourgeoisie Negroes, um, whereas Malcolm was better able to connect with the poor black masses and right. just play a numbers game. That's at the time, it's more people, right? Right, and and, and it comes, a, it stems a lot from their backgrounds. I mean, if, if you take, uh, you know, Dr. King's background, right? Uh, you know, we're, we're talking about a, a Southern Baptist, right? Christian, Christian to the core. Um, and you take kind of Malcolm, you know, more of the street kid, a little bit more of the, um, you know, definitely the more urban um, individual. Um, that 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 led to a direct connection in who who, who the following wound up being, right? Um, you see some of the inner city struggles expanded on much more clearly and in much more of an articulate fashion by by by, by Malcolm, right? Um, whereas kind of like the the heart of the discrimination and the racist the racism in the South, kind of you, you see more of an affinity. You know, from Southerners, kind of geared towards towards Dr. King's cause, right? Um, so, 
you know, obviously you sprinkle in some other life experiences and so on and so forth. And then, then we really see um, how each of their followings are shaped. So what I find, uh, what I find really fascinating about, about both men is that they both suffered tremendous racism growing up. They both, but they both suffered you know, horrendous events as children and growing up, but their reactions because of who they were exactly as Greg was just saying and how, and what their early childhood experiences were different, different parts of the country, different upbringing, their reactions and their later paths in life were, were completely different, even though they kind of suffered very similar kind of, uh, events when they were younger. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and, I, and I think that that kind of rings true for just about any activist, right? Um, you know, obviously, you know, they're going to speak to what they know the absolute best, right? And, and, and Malcolm was no different, right? You know, um, going through the legal system and being, you know, institutionalized as, as, as a young man, right? Um, you know, some would say that he was a product of the environment. Some would, some would say that this was kind of like, a, you know, I, I would say his detractors would kind of try to use his past to kind of discredit um, some of his uh, political and social ideologies, right? Um, but then again, I mean, I mean, think about the cancel culture that we live in right now, right? I mean, uh, you know, we see kind of cancel culture, you know, in those days as well, right? Um, you know, digging up dirt from the past uh, as, a, as a means to discredit sometimes, you know, really positive messages, you know, in the present. Um, and we see, I mean, we, I mean, we see that tenfold in this day and age, um, but it's pretty interesting. And I always found it unbelievably fascinating and, and in, in some ways it's upsetting, right? Um, how that, that cancel culture of those days just kind of have resonated and shaped the, the memory of, 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 of such a, um, an influential figure, you know, to, to all of us. Right. Um, I, I always, it always, I always question what, why among black people, why is the legacy of Malcolm X, um, why is it so revered um, and, and so vilified by those who simply don't know? Is there, is there some sort of, was there some sort of foundational reason why that happened? Um, and then, you know, my paper kind of sought to kind of uncover um, those, those kind of systematic efforts, right? Um, this wasn't, this wasn't by chance this was no coincidence right this was totally um you know you know totally deliberate right and it was and and it's and speaking of how deliberate it was right you see exactly how it could drastically kind of shift public perception uh even so much that you know you, you know, go on the street right now, right? Go on the street right now. Even uh, ask the students this, uh, ask coworkers this, educated, learned people, right? Uh, and I said, what's the first word that comes to mind when you think about Malcolm X? And you hear some really strange things, right? Uh, violence. Like, Whoa, hey, violence. Like, wait, wait, where did that come from, right? Um, have we read any of the literature? Have we, have we really uh, discussed uh, the... The, the, the political and, and, and economic and, and social programs that he advocated for. Um, have we uncovered any instances of violence, right? Um, you know, obviously post-incarceration and so on and so forth, right? But speaking about his life specifically as an activist, right? Um, and, and in the civil rights movement and in, the, in that context, right? You know, I, it, it, it's really, really, really troubling. Um, and, and, and writing the paper, I would consistently Maybe to maybe annoyingly, right? Uh, asking people um, of, of many different age groups, right? Um, people who live throughout the time, people who were maybe uh, immigrants, right, during the time, right? Kind of see, saw, saw their, um, got their take on it. I spoke to white individuals, black individuals, people of different socioeconomic backgrounds, and that and and that common trend just kind of seemed to to, to keep. Um, reoccurring. So that was really kind of like the, um, I would say the 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 inspiration for the paper. Um, it was really interesting to uncover uh, some of the evidence, um, some of the writings, uh, reading some of the um, influential literature, right, uh, including um, you know obviously the reinvention of Malcolm X. Uh, obviously that was kind of at the forefront of the paper, the examination of. of um, um, of um, uh, 
of, of kind of like again just like uh, an alternative kind of sci uh, an alternative biography that's really um a little bit distant right from some of what we see in Malcolm's autobiography which obviously has some 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 problems with that too but that's that's a, that's a little bit of a of a different direction here but but yeah so on that topic um obviously your your paper cites a lot of the examples can you give our listeners some of some specific examples of really federal interference and and the strategy to vilify malcolm yeah um you know it's definitely a combination of federal and local uh interference um it's not something that's exclusive to malcolm it's not something that is it's not something that um was uh exclusive to civil rights activists right um you know a, a lot of these um forms of surveillance and even um, infiltration to a certain extent, really kind of, um, I wouldn't say they were, they totally stemmed from the era of Marcus Garvey, uh, you know, at the, you know, in the outset of the, the 20th century, right? I mean, it's interesting, it's, it's actually kind of interesting, like kind of like some of the, the parallels between uh, the Garvey movement and, 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 and Malcolm X's following, right? You know, Malcolm was a, a Gar Garveyite to a certain extent. His father was a Garveyite. Uh, his family were Garveyites. Um, Marcus Garvey was, was in some, in some fashion, was just as scary, right, as Malcolm was uh, in those days of age. Not, you know, totally deviating from, you know, the, 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 the political ideologies of, of, of Booker T. Washington and, 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 and W.E.B. Du Bois. Like, this is, a I always, I always found that as, as really interesting juxtapositions, looking at the the, the activists of the, of the early 20th century and kind of, you know, again, juxtaposing them to kind of the activists of the, the mid, the mid, you know, uh, 20th century, right? So being able to deport Mount, um, excuse me, uh, to, to deport um, uh, Marcus Garvey um, was the ultimate triumph of the federal government, right? Um, they totally removed a major voice um, in the struggle for black advancement at the time, right? Um, um, uh, indicting him on mail fraud charges um, and then removing him from the country, borderline totally removed the movement from the country, right? Um, and again, that movement was something that was, you know, to use your words, kind of jarring, right? Um, the idea of black people assembling and and, and 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 forming separatist movements um, that may seek to kind of undermine the the the, 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 the structure the, the social hierarchy in America, right? Um, like, could you just imagine if, if Marcus Garvey were able to kind of pull off um, what he viewed to be black liberation and a Pan African movement, right? So we kind of fast forward into the you know into the into the to the mid twentieth century and we see. Malcolm X, you know, this this Muslim guy uh, who is unbelievably well-spoken, well-articulated, um, just, it just totally, that, which, which obviously, I mean, we've discussed this on the previous, <laughs> on the previous podcast, how that troubles, uh, you know, white people to begin with, right? Um, but then you bring in, um, you bring in kind of his religious um, um, affiliations, you bring in his distaste right for for the modern christian uh status quo right um he 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 speaks on uh he speaks about white people in a way that seems is very garvey-esque right and it just it just sets in motion um you know the federal government really employing as many tactics as they possibly can to duplicate what what they were able to do with with Marcus Garvey. Now, obviously, this took took on a totally different. This Malcolm presented a totally different animal, right? Um, now we have a staunch following, right? In some of uh, in some of America's major cities, we're seeing public speaking. Um, you know, not from uh, you know for like from an immigrant voice like the Jamaican Garvey, right? But from a an American. Right, who who's espousing, you know, uh, views comparing white people to you know discriminatory white people to the devils walking on earth. Um, the rhetoric was powerful. The rhetoric the rhetoric was charged, right? But the the you know but the rhetoric was scary. 
Uh, so, of course, you know, the feds had to intervene in, in, in a way that um, they probably never had before, right? Um, and obviously, the, the upping of the ante, of the infiltration, the surveillance, the interventions, um, the, um, you know, um, just the, un the undermining of the movement. It was, it was something that, uh, that, that, that they felt was totally necessary. You kind of alluded to reasons why Malcolm received additional attention from the federal government. Obviously, his his background, um, his Muslim background, some of the ideas he, he was espousing. Dr. King was also heavily watched by the federal government as well, too. And he's dubbed as the quote unquote correct way to go about obtaining freedom, justice, liberation, etc. So then what's the difference? Like, like why? Right, like what was it? Like what was what was considering the fact that the movements were so different? Why target both of them? Right, uh, for me, um, you know, it's very complicated. No, it's not. It, they're both black. That's what happens. You know what I'm saying? Like they're both black, and they're both influential, and they both had tremendous followings, and there were even despite sectional differences, right? Despite ideological differences, you know the commonality here is 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 influence, right? So considering the fact that civil disobedience is always looked upon, and actually, you know what, I, I can't even say it's looked upon as an acceptable means of protest because at the time, civil disobedience was only looked upon as disobedient, right? Um, I mean, you know, we look back, and again, you brought up revisionist history. We look back at civil disobedience as something that is totally acceptable, totally. Um, in some cases, necessary for change and so on and so forth. But civil disobedience got these men, um, got these unbelievable men and women uh, hosed, bitten by bitten by uh, um, uh, police dogs, beaten, um, in, in, many, in some cases killed, right? Um, civil disobedience, was, there, there was no, uh, you know, if you take a look at the, uh, the Ava DuVernay classic, right? The, Sel the, 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 the Selma, that, that was just uh, the ultimate visual of, of, of where civil disobedience can take you, right? So, um, it, it, so for the feds, I don't think it necessarily matters, right? Um, you know, Martin Luther King, um, you know, you know, rest his soul. You know, uh, he 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 wasn't excluded from 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 federal surveillance, and and neither were uh, the Panthers, right? And the, the Stokely Carmichael's and the um, um, and the um, and the other major Panthers, right? Um, it's, 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 you know, again, it was pretty obvious that this was kind of like the, the, the method that they kind of needed to take. Otherwise, uh, the, the, the question of, 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 of obtaining civil rights was just, it was going to be something that they probably couldn't control. I think, I think the question about um, tactics and civil disobedience being acceptable uh, just to follow that up a little bit, I think it depends on the audience that you're talking about, you know, so who finds it acceptable, right? Obviously, Southern segregationists didn't find anything acceptable because that's why they, that's why they did all the things that Greg just said. That's why horses stomped on people at the Edmund Pettus Bridge, you know, that's civil disobedience to that audience, completely unacceptable. So who are you really talking about? In, in history, you're really talking about the Northern liberals, you know, you're talking about the Northern liberals, who could they stomach more, you know, where Malcolm, Malcolm was, was a threat to everything that, that even Northern liberals thought about, because Northern liberals weren't Muslims, Northern liberals weren't black, you know, there's that old, you know, I'll, I'll stand with you, but not in my own backyard, you know, I don't want you moving into my neighborhood, but I think you should have rights in your neighborhood, you know, so so Malcolm was a threat to everything that they that they thought. So so his message was was terrifying to to every other audience, right? Where where Martin his his message was, was like, oh good, you know, you'll have you'll have desegregation in the South, which is great. You're not gonna have it in the North. You're not gonna have desegregation on Long Island. You know, you know, black people allowed in my neighborhood. You know, here. So it's it it really. It really, for me, has never been accepted. No form of protest has ever been acceptable to any of the establishment. You look at Black Lives Matter, if you look at any of the protests going on, 
nothing was okay. Even our protest that, that Malik led was not okay for the establishment, you know? The school district didn't like it. The town didn't like it. The, the police were very, very cooperative and helped us. And I have, to, I have to say that I was I was really, really impressed by how professional the police were at, at our march. But the rest of the establishment didn't like that. They, they didn't like to see all these brown and black people marching down their streets. They never do. So, you know, Malcolm was just, Malcolm just threatened everybody. Everybody was threatened by Malcolm. Where, where Martin was like, oh, all right, you know. Yeah, I was going to say, it's the good old get back to work mentality. It's, that's right. It's, it's just like that stuff. And we said that about the women's march, get back to work. Occupy Wall Street, get back to work. Black Lives Matter, get back to work. It's like, um, it's like, by the way, everybody had a job, right? You understand what I'm saying? Like, but but there's just bigger fish to fry. It's okay to miss that day or two or three or four days of work to, to fight for social change, right? Um, but when, but you know, but when again the establishment, that whole aid. Hey, why don't these people just stop blocking traffic and get back to work? It's 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 that that's that type of uh, conservative mindset. Not not necessarily politically conservative, but not right. just kind of like ideologically right uh, conservative. Um, it's that mindset that kind of sucks, right? And it and it and it's kind of what is the the biggest obstacle uh, for change. People fear change. People fear it. They don't like it. They they like their status quo. They like things the way they are. If if anything changes, the immediate reaction is going to be, well, I'm going to lose something. You know, if if these people get rights, if 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 Malcolm and Martin, if they if they follow through and they get rights, then I'm going to lose something that I have. And that's that's such a that's such a basic instinct. Right. For uh, for people who are in power, or people who think they're in power, you know, how many people are really in power in this country? But you know, there's this whole group of people that think, oh, I'm part of the power structure. Now, well, yeah, same skin color, I guess, but you know, yeah, yeah, not yeah, part yeah. of that power structure. Exactly. We'll be right back. Well, that's a nice song. Hey, hey, everybody. It's me, the launch dad himself, George Andriopoulos, the host of the LaunchCast, the co-host of Over My Dad Podcast. But more importantly, I'm here today on behalf of Launchpad 516 Studios, the podcast production company that makes those two shows, the one you're listening to now, and so many others possible. Now, what is Launchpad 516 Studios? Well, it's the brainchild of Launchpad 516, It's a podcast production company, and we help you from conceptualization to production to recording to post-production to monetization. The key word here, let's turn that hobby, that idea into a revenue stream. But more importantly, let's get that important idea out there and get your voice heard because that's what matters right now. Hit us up, launchpad516studios.com to find out more information. Or send us an email, podcast at lp516.com. DM me at Launchpad CEO on all the platforms. Let's chat. Let's get your voice heard. We're pretty good at this, guys. Don't let this offer slip by you. Later, guys. You're listening to Discriminology with your hosts, Malik Silau, Steve Kramer, and Sydney Penn. Greg, you said something earlier that we wanted to ask you about the the infamous quote of, of referring to white people as white devils. I think that follows Malcolm far and wide. Um, many people see him as a demagogue, as as your paper kind of looks to kind of dive into. But even during that time, um, he was seen by many audiences as, as a demagogue. Is there context missing? Like, what was Malcolm actually saying at the time when he? Or is it, or is it kind of just straightforward? It is what it is. Like that's how he felt. No, it's 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 not straightforward. It's totally taken taken out of context. Um, it's you know, I mean, what would you? I mean, you just gotta put yourself in the shoes, right? You know, of a, a person that's doing the descriptions, right? Uh, if it if it were someone, um, any person, right, uh, who who were the victims of of, of heinous crimes, you know rape, torture, murder, 
of violence, assault, what happened, sexual assault, you know, a lot of the things, you know, that, that anybody would stand against, right? And, and you were victimized by it, right? You know, how would, you know, even no matter, no matter what your rhetoric were, was, right? Or no, no matter how much you tried to kind of like, um, you know, push your hatred aside, we are human beings, right? And, and, and considering the fact that, again, with, 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 with the, the, just with him being the mouthpiece of a greater movement of people who view white people in the worst ways as a result of their actions, as a result of their behavior, as a result of their discrimination, racism, prejudice, so on and so forth. Um, how can one uh, discredit a man's movement because he identifies his oppressors, actual real oppressors, um, as devils, um, you know, I mean, you know, in, in many cases, you know, there are word can't even describe, um, the, the way a person would feel after being victimized in, in the worst forms and fashions. Right. Um, so, you know, smear campaigns were obviously at the forefront of the federal government and, and, it, and it's very interesting, kind of like the, the legacy of, uh, of Alex Haley, right? Uh, so Alex Haley, um specifically um obviously you know you know for the listeners you know who, who don't know who, who alex haley is or a little bit unfamiliar with his work um alex, uh, alex, um, um, alex haley is a, a a tremendous writer a highly influential black man um you know who um is credited with obviously being the the, the pen man for the for malcolm's autobiography which um, I would say co-written, so to speak, right, uh, with Malcolm, as told, and if you read the, the autobiography, it's as told, right, by, 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 by Alex Haley, right? But it's actually pretty problematic um, that Alex Haley uh, had as much power as he did uh, over kind of the life and legacy of, of, of Malcolm, given kind of like who he really was, right? Um, generally speaking, Alex, Alex Haley, um, and rest his soul, he, he's, he's not around to really kind of defend himself. So, so I'd obviously say this with great caution. Alex Haley specifically was uh, commissioned to document um, Malcolm before, prior to writing his autobiography, right? In uh, newspaper articles, he, he, he uh, interviewed Malcolm. And interestingly enough, um, he, like many, black and white Americans at that time, held specific hostilities uh, towards Malcolm and the Nation of Islam uh, and their methods of achieving, of achieving black advancement. It's without question, it's without question that those um, hostilities were kind of espoused um, in, in, in a, in a co-written article, um, I, I believe it was called uh, Messengers of Hate, right? Um, even just, just given the title alone, right? Um, I, 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 I think that, you know, obviously given kind of some of the context of, of, of where members of the Nation of Islam, right, you know, it's, you know, mostly all black, all black men and women who were part of the Nation of Islam, who held, um, who obviously pledged allegiance to the five pillars of Islam, but given the American context of race relations were, um, a, a, one of the most influential groups, um, probably even more so, right, than, than, than Dr. King's following, you know, in the South, right, but in major American cities, right? Um, Malcolm specifically said, and again, just as a major challenge to the, to the Christian status quo, right, you know, the most segregated time in America, high noon on Sunday, right, um, where, where white Christians flat out barred black Christians from even worshiping that same God, right? Um, it was kind of the, it was really the message that kind of funneled uh, a lot of black America into the nation of Islam. So, so back to Haley, given who the nation of Islam was, right, uh, as a group, um, and the, the peculiarities as well as the obscurities, right, of the group, the, the ambiguities of their message, right, is something that kind of really intrigued Alex Haley, right? Um, now, obviously, as after he kind of built the bond with Malcolm, Malcolm kind of gained um, some degree of confidence in Alex Haley, okay, in, 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 in writing the autobiographical piece. 
um, one can only kind of imagine, right? Like, would any of these hostilities permeate into Malcolm's work? Well, when Malcolm dies, obviously, uh, as he's assassinated, and you know, I, I, I can take a wild guess that that's probably where we're going in the show, right? Um, after he's assassinated, um, and the epilogue was written in the uh, in, in in the um, autobiography, right? It's solely written by Alex Haley, right? Um, and the question kind of remains, like you know, where is the end of Malcolm's work? The, the real end of his actual, not not necessarily his the, the writing that work. I'm talking about his actual work, right? After he returns from Mecca um, on the pilgrimage, uh, pilgrimage, you know, the, the great Hajj, the storied Hajj that he takes, you know, this becomes a um, a kind of a source of kind of enlightenment for Malcolm, right? As we all have, right? I mean, like, can we, can, I think we all can kind of understand that as men, as women, as people in general, at times, right, people see things much more clearly after some time, right? So given the trauma of his early, of his early life and its institutionalization, given even further, his childhood and, and, and the ways in which racism impacted his family. Fast forward to his to his um, to his activism and just watching the way the kind of the civil rights movement unfolded. Can we possibly imagine that a man of his intellectual caliber can have a tremendous epiphany after being exposed uh, to Islam worldwide? To being exposed to people of all different cultures and creeds uh, who all uh, pledge allegiance to the same faith. Can you possibly imagine how that might impact his political strategies, right? So upon his return back to the States, his political strategies, his message, his rhetoric, uh, kind of, you know, um, he experiences this transformation. And this is kind of what what Manning Marable really wanted to focus on in the reinvention, in the life of reinvention, right? You know, where was that, where were those paragraphs uh, in the epilogue about this transformation? Where was the, 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 the insightful discussion of the, of the, of the, of the political programs that he wanted to push forth, uh, obviously with a Muslim mosque Inc. kind of being the, the religious uh, side of his kind of like, um, again, his, the, 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 as a means to kind of achieve equality, right? And then the OAAU, right? Um, which would kind of be this more secular, much more, you know, even you know, religious organization, but, right, right, right. A, a politically activist organization, right? You know, you know, you know, where was the discussion of this, right? Um, and I think that that's something that's excluded deliberately. Well, isn't there three missing chapters from the autobiography? Right. So you know, right, and and then you just wonder why, you know, you know, why did these events ensue the way this way the way it did, right? Did it, could it have possibly been simply an error, right, on the part of Haley? Could this have been a, uh, could this have been done deliberately, right? Um, and, I, and, and I personally think that, again, again, uh, you know, revisionist history, um, again, that's obviously the limitations of, 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 of doing this type of analysis. But, um, you know, um, I think one can conclude Right? Given the hostilities of, of, of Mr. Haley um, and the untimely death of Malcolm, is it possible that some of this some of this stuff was left out? Um, you know, you, you, you know, you know, and, and Spike Lee obviously he bases most of uh, what he documents in the in the unbelievably fascinating film. Um, of Malcolm X, you know, starring Denzel Washington. I know, I know, we all know it, right? I love the film; it's phenomenal. Um, but, 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 but portraying Malcolm to the masses, based so almost solely off of Alex Haley and the autobiography, did, did 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 Spike Lee might Spike Lee have missed the mark as well too? Right? That's kind of the question. So I guess the question is, uh, 
why would Alex Haley do this, right? Why, why, what did he have to gain by, by either leaving out that information or omitting that information? Um, where does he stand? So for, you know, I, I want you to answer that. If, if you could answer that question, what did he stand to gain? But also for, for our listeners, Alex Haley, um, for everybody of my generation and older, this, this is the man who wrote Roots. This is the man who was hailed as one of the, one of the most influential African-American writers, black writers that brought the story of slavery to the, to the television screen. I mean, that wasn't even on the movie. That was a televised series that, that showed real brutality. I mean, I, I watched it as a kid and you know it's it's obviously you know lived on f forever and he's always hailed as this thing but you you have you obviously have through your research a little different take on him like what what did he have to gain from leaving all that out about malcolm when he's so revered as 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 a black historian on 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 the same topic wasn't Haley asked by the fbi to put a relative spin on the book yeah, and, and well, I would say, um, kind of generally speaking, kind of like you know, prior to the, the the writing of the autobiography, you know, there is you know actual evidence that that Alex Haley, to some degree, and let's 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 again, I'll, I'll be very measured in the way I speak here, to some degree, was heavily influenced by the FBI in the writing of the piece, the piece of Messengers of Hate. Um, this was uh, a, again a deliberate smear campaign of the of the of the nation of islam specifically was it a was it meant to be a condemnation specifically on malcolm x uh no um was it supposed to be an overall examination of this kind of scary threat of the nation of islam the answer is yes was it what was it the 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 deliberate attempt by the fbi to influence haley uh in in in, in documenting the nation of islam in the most negative light possible? The answer is yes, right? Um, so how can the flip-flop occur so quickly, right? How can one person be, uh, in some cases, I mean, let's call a spade a spade, a bit of an informant to a certain extent of the, F uh, of the FBI to, uh, again, commission to kind of um, put this spin uh, in in a, in a in a prominent news article, um, and then totally flip flop and now be this be totally sympathetic to Malcolm and his cause and his life and his struggle and his story and his message, right? Um, could that could could you know how do we kind of reconcile those two items, right? Uh, from informant to now this again this sympathetic writer, right? Uh, or is this just the same guy the whole entire time? who was, again, uh, like you say, Steve, he was the man who brought the, the story, the black, the story of black struggle to the masses, to network TV, you know, for, 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 for people who sat down at dinner and watched the struggle unfold on TV, right? That alone, right? Considering the fact who he is, that kind of reflects, again, a bit of a generational gap, right? That's right. Uh, I don't want to deviate too, too much from the subject, but I always think about, uh, uh, again, think about even just the ways in which uh, the old generation of black, act, uh, of old generation of, of blacks uh, would even just view the usage of the word. They look at the word in the utmost horrific fashion. They relate and only connect that word to the struggles of slavery and the and the and the in the horrendous nature of Jim Crow and so on and so forth, right? Uh, when we kind of see that word be changed and 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 the and the power within that word be totally modified by African American people themselves to this day. So if you speak, I mean I'll be honest with you, to speak to speak to cultural icons and rappers and I mean let's be honest, even um political commentators and other music artists and players and uh, professional athletes, things like that, you know, they're going to have a much different view on that word, right? So to so so for Alex Haley and for Malcolm X, right, who obviously were vying for the same thing, is there a possibility that a generational gap might be wedged between the two, causing hostilities on the ways in which 
African-Americans can achieve equality? I say that the answer is yes. Yeah, it's, uh, th that's pretty powerful stuff, especially coming from somebody that was so revered like that and somebody that is, uh, that is certainly still, still regarded as, as one of the great black historians, right? To see the community so split, it's, uh, you know, it, it's a tough thing to handle. Greg, we, uh, we're, we're kind of winding down, but we would like to hit on um, your discussion of Co-Intel Pro. Uh, and what were, the, what were the objectives of that operation? Like, do we still have, when you did your research, did you have access to public information and, and, and any of that stuff or any of, any of Hoover's stuff? Maybe you could just give us a, a quick brief. I, I know we're running short on time, but maybe a quick brief you know, synopsis of what that was all about. Yeah, I did. I was privy to a lot of the information. Um, I, I, I searched through uh, hundreds of, of FBI, FBI files that have been uncovered, some of them recently, some not so recently. Some of the information was redacted. But obviously, going through all the muck of it, right, um, you can see a, a systematic approach di as directed from the director, J. Edgar Hoover himself, to undermine infiltrate and do whatever it took to break apart the nation of islam from its seams right so the so cointelpro obviously the counterintelligence kind of program right to um again it was a it was a deliberate attempt at sowing discord among the black community in and of itself but specifically the nation of islam right and and and, and this is what they did um, like commissioning people like Alex Haley, right? They commissioned other uh, African Americans um, who may have been activists or may not, or have been posing as activists, who may have been Muslims or have just been posing as Muslims, um, and they commissioned them to be um, to infiltrate the, the Nation of Islam as, as 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 any like undercover informant would ever do, right? Um, but obviously, um, there was a much more targeted effort at, 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 at um, dividing the movement uh, between those followers of Elijah Muhammad, obviously essentially the founder of the American Nation of Islam, uh, and Malcolm X, who was becoming this true mouthpiece and, the, um, and really kind of the more popular, uh, more recognizable figure within the, with, within the nation. So obviously, you know, with, with, with members who are undercover, who are infiltrating, who are spreading lies, who are um, essentially agitating, um, agitating various members of the group, um, this is eventually what causes dissension between uh, Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm X. Now, obviously this kind of, it rears its ugly head after the assassination of, 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 um, of President Kennedy. Um, Malcolm, Malcolm makes the statement publicly, um, and at that point, unbeknownst to, uh, Elijah Muhammad, um, and again, the chickens come home to roost, right? The chickens come home to roost. Right. Um, and this was a damning statement at the time, right? Again, taken out of context, it says, well, it, it's basically like, who the hell is this black guy wishing death upon an American beloved president? Right, whether and whether he was wishing death upon him or satisfied by the death of him, that's essentially kind of like what the the, the headline would read. Right, um, obviously, when you kind of peel back the layers and you understand, and Malcolm literally explains it right after he says the comment. Uh, if you put it in context, he says, "Well, in a in a uh, in a uh, in a society so centered on hatred, in a society so." centered on violence at some point or another, that hatred and violence will come back to bite that society in its purest form. And what more, what more, um, you know, could have happened to kind of, again, rock the nation to its core than the assassination of a beloved president, right? That's what Malcolm is saying. And he said it uh, in, in a much more articulate way than I did, could ever have, right? Um, so, you know, kind of going back to COINTELPRO, um, you know, this was the this was their opportunity to kind of really um, to really kind of slam the nail in the coffin of of, of sowing this discord. 
Um, so much so that I, that without question, um, on the, the actual night of his assassination at the Audubon, um, you know, in, in, in New York City, um, it, it is believed, and as as um, as Marable would point out, as many historians have pointed out, um, that this this assassination attempt was highly orchestrated. Um, it was um, obviously um, aided, right, by the cooperation or lack thereof, right, of uh, of, of the the NYPD, um, and kind of with all those elements, kind of intertwined right um that's how you can ca kind of carry out an assassination in such a public forum right you know why wasn't why wasn't the nypd um securing that location uh, to the umpteenth power right um who were these actual individuals who fired the guns right uh Generally speaking, those are men that were agitated, of course, by the the, the COINTELPRO informants, um, and 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 you know, filled with the lies, filled with the the, the threat that Malcolm would forcibly overthrow uh, Elijah Mohammed. I mean, these are these things were unbelievably troubling for people within the group um, who, who so deeply uh, shared an affinity with with with, with Mohammed. Um, some many people thought that Malcolm X was a grand standard just by nature. Whether they, but whether they liked him or not, they kind of respected him. Um, but had it not been uh, for the for the again the systematic approach of the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover and Cone Telpro, um, I'm pretty sure, and one any reasonable person can probably uh, can be assured that the differences probably would have subsided. Um, and been put to the side in the name of of, of equality. I, I think looking at historical figures and looking at somebody who's so influential as Malcolm X, and looking at him through through a modern lens, I, I would I would hope that that eventually, and it's starting to happen, I think, with with more writers and and more people looking back, that this idea of this person being a violent man finally gets put to bed. He never, he never incited violence. I, in, in our previous episode, we talked about how, how we avoided it. And and because of Malcolm, there was far less violence. There could have been an all-out war. And there wasn't because he told them not to, which, which is an incredible amount of power, which you also mentioned in your paper, that I, that I would hope that, that the message of, of separatism and and um and civil rights and and those sorts of social change that that he fought so hard for I, I would hope that those would be at the at the forefront of when you talk about when when malcolm is taught in schools and when malcolm is taught you know and and uh, and written about I, I would hope that uh that a lot of the points that you made in your thesis i would hope that that um that time would uh would write the true story of him rather than this this violent man calling for violent uprisings and violent which which are, are, are simple, simply not true, but also very complicated lies and misinformation that that were propagated by by the government and by the power structure. If, if you have time, one, one more thing I wanted to touch on was uh, the fact that Malcolm's end of life closing strategy was left out. I don't think many people even know what his vision was for black liberation at the end of his life. I mean, there's it's not even common knowledge that he sought to indict the United States on on international charges like these are these are big things right that are kind of left out of his legacy i just thought it was very important that it, if we close out on like really what he stood for at the end of his life and the united nations just acted on that correct oh, it's a great point malik yeah 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 it, i mean it's 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 a phenomenal point it's, it's it's something that shouldn't be left out um understanding race at a global level is really kind of something that, again, threatened the re overall reputation of the United States. After all, we are a nation where we're kind of undergirded by um, these foundational core values and these principles of liberty and justice uh, for all, um, you, know, you know, we the people, right? So on and so forth, the, all of the, the, the cliche nonsense uh, for lack of better words, right, um, that our that our nation was built on, um, 
were, were, were totally violated by the historical events that ensued um, in the lead up to the civil rights movement. People like Malcolm X, who now acquires this worldview, again, acquires a worldview. I mean, I think that any one of us would, would go through this if we traveled the world, right? If we just would look at life here in our in our in our within our local government, within our state government, within our federal government, we would simply look at the world differently. And Malcolm did, um, and bringing this to the to United Nations was obviously um, at the forefront of his politics um, towards the end of his life. Um, th that threat to the reputation of the United States in the 1950s and 60s, perhaps, we're not talking, we're not talking about the 1860s. We're not talking about at the passage of the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment, right? We are talking about nearly 100 years later, uh, where we're still dealing with some of the most rampant racism the nation had ever seen up to that point, right? Um, it is without question, these were violations of human rights and not, and no longer a national discussion, but a global one. And we, we could diverge so far into that conversation, but you know, I want to be respectful of you, Tom. GT, this was, uh, this was very insightful for me too. Thanks for kind of discussing your paper with us today. And it was super enjoyable for me to read as someone who, uh, highly values the legacy of Malcolm X. Well, uh, obviously, you know, thank you for, for having me on yet again. Uh, I, I truly appreciate that you both think of me highly enough to be a guest uh, to kind of uh, really engage in this type of discussion. Uh, these forums don't exist everywhere uh, in, in academia. And I think that you two put a spin on on this that's totally unique to anything I've ever seen. No, I appreciate that, GT. Thank you. So for our listening audience, the, these both of these men were uh, were former students of mine, and uh, I just have to say, from a personal standpoint, just listening to how how you guys have have really embraced your studies and embraced your knowledge, it's 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 really powerful for me to listen to. And and I hope our our audience listens, and I hope our audience does their own research, and I hope our audience picks up the books that that we're talking about, and um, and and does a lot of reading on their own. Thanks for tuning in to the show. Discriminology is brought to you by Launchpad 516 Studios, executive produced by George Andriopoulos. Our theme song, Wild Ones, is licensed through Twano Beats LLC. Other music and sound effects licensed through Epidemic Sound. Discriminology is hosted with Podbean. Make sure to subscribe to this feed wherever podcasts are available and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts while you're at it. Follow us at discriminology underscore podcast on Instagram, at discriminology3 on Facebook and Twitter. Make sure to follow all the great podcasts produced by Launchpad 516 Studios.